1: Five, four, three, two, one, zero.
0: When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. They would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't have been a damn thing I
1: could have done about it.
2: This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. You know, the look it was giving me. <laughs>
1: What are you reporting? Jesus Christ, you better. Sheriff, see him? Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh.
0: Welcome to Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, Sasquatch Chronicles. I'm your host, Wes, along with my brother, Woody, and researcher, author, and friend, William Jeffy. Let's start the show. Episode 45. God, I can't believe we're on episode 45. I want to apologize to everyone last week for the hiatus we took last week off. But we're definitely back this week. I know before we actually get started, Will, you wanted to give a quick shout-out to a listener.
2: I want to give a, a shout-out to Michael DiLorenzo, who is a, a fan of the show and uh, sent a very nice email. Mike, I hope everything is all well with you, and uh, you know, stay in touch, buddy.
0: Yeah, it was a nice email. And I don't want to go into what was actually in the email, but I want to thank uh, personally thank Mike for the email. Too as well it was very uh, genuine very heartfelt and just thanks Mike it, it um it kind of makes things worthwhile when you when you get emails like that so thank you very much for for taking the time to send that to us and thanks for listening too by the way i also want to thank jay Frazier. he had sent us an email about the last show we were talking a lot about if these creatures can actually the difference between language and actually them mimicking what we're saying. And he brought up a great point about parrots. You know, the, the, a parrot can mimic what you say. It's not like you can sit and have a conversation with a parrot, but a parrot can bring up it. Anyway, it was a long email. Great. A lot of great points. So thank you, Jay, for, for sending that to us. And just one last shout out. I want to give before we uh, get to the show and, give the people what they want. I wanted to thank Chad. Chad had sent us a private message on Facebook, and it was a video clip of this teacher, Mr. K. I believe it was in West Virginia, but Mr. K was actually sitting in front of his class explaining to them how he had actually run into a Sasquatch when he was a child. And I thought the whole thing was just a real fascinating story. I posted it up on our Facebook page, uh, if you go to Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, the fan page on Facebook, you can see it. Uh, he has a lot of patience sitting there with the kids because they were kind of interrupting him. But his story was very fascinating, and he talked a little bit about the Minnesota Iceman. So the whole thing was just uh, – it was awesome. Thank you, Chad, for sending that over to us. I know we have a great show tonight. I know everyone's looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, it sounds like a really interesting um, uh, interesting one. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh the one guest that we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and bring the guest on. Tonight on the show, we have Jack from Washington State, and Jack's actually in law enforcement. He's an ex-Special Forces. He spent a lot of time in the military, and tonight we are going to see if we can get him to talk a little bit about some encounters that he has heard through some of his Special Forces friends where they encountered these creatures here in the States and had to, I guess for lack of a better word, take care of them, deal with them, um, different situations. So it should be a real fascinating show, but I wanted to welcome Jack to the show.
3: Hey, Hey, how are you? Hey,
0: good. How are you doing, Jack?
3: Oh, not too bad.
0: I wanted to welcome you to the show, Jack. And before we actually get into your encounter and your experiences in the military through your Special Forces contact, Would you mind, uh, by starting off, by telling us about your brother's encounter with the camper and kind of what happened to your brother?
3: Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, Oh, God, this is back in uh, 1997, (laughs) and my younger brother was stationed at Fort Lewis. Basically, what had happened was he was trying to get the last couple of days in of uh, elk season, uh, him and his buddy, so they went to Mount Rainier, uh, set up their camp. and They were over on the the east side of the mountain. They go set their camp up, and then they go check out where they're gonna go hunting. You know, kind of try to scout out some some sites. Uh, well, when they got back to their camp, their camp was totally destroyed. The tent was tore up. Uh, uh, cooler was turned over. I mean, it was when I say it was destroyed, it was destroyed from what he told me. Uh, so they, they kind of cleaned it up, and they're thinking, well, crap, it's a bear, you know. So they go down to the whatever closest town that they were at. They get something to eat, and then they get back up there. And uh, they decide they're going to sleep in the back of the pickup, and they had a camper shell on the back of my little brother's pickup. You know, military sleeping bags aren't they're, – they're roomy for one person and the person that's in it. That's it. And you're kind of cocooned like an old mummy. Tyler kind of said that he woke up about oh said like like three thirty in the morning. Couldn't figure out why he just kind of woke up, and he's kind of looking around and had this uh, forty four Magnum he used to carry with him all the time. And uh, to understand my my little brother, my little brother is not a very tall man. He's only like five six, so he's got little man syndrome bad. So his his attitude is the bigger the caliber, the better he likes the gun. Uh, so anyways, he's looking for this pistol is, and he's got this little angle head flashlight, and he's flashing around, and all of a sudden he looks at the window closest to him, the side window, and there's this face looking at him. And he said it was totally human. It looked like a, you know, a normal human face, only at a bigger scale. And he said, and I didn't see much of the face except for from the, about mid-chin up to about, you know, just above the eyebrow. He didn't say how long he was looking at it, but he said all of a sudden the thing bared its teeth at him. And, you know, my, my kid brother's not, he's not one to exaggerate. And he said, he goes, dude, this thing had canines that were every bit of three and a half inches long. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, they had canines. And he said, I'm thinking a bear at first. And he said, no, bears don't have a human nose. Uh, their eyes are a little bit offset to their side of their, their head, not not like an elephant or a, or a horse, but a little bit offset. And he said, but this was like a human face. And all of a sudden, it started to rock the truck back and forth and started collapsing the camper shell down on top of him and his buddy. He's, you know, he's, hey, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. And his buddy's like, I'm awake, but I ain't moving. Well, this last, Tyler said it lasted a good long time. And uh, finally they, you know, they realized the camper shell's collapsing down on top of him. And the thing would walk around the, the truck beating on his truck, you know, like it hit it with its hand. About sunup, uh, he said it had, it had settled down. They hadn't seen it past the, the back glass for a while. That's when he looked at his watch, and he said, you know, at 630, they they realized the thing had left. So they kicked open the back glass. They got out of the truck, threw what they had left of the cooler in the in the truck. They got, got in their truck, and they left. You know, my kid brother's not one to to put on tails. Uh I could tell that he was scared. He showed me pictures of the truck when he went and had to claim for insurance. He's like, What am I gonna tell him? That Sasquatch that you know, beat down the, the roof of my of my you know, camper shell on my pickup? I'd never got right. i never gotten paid for it. <laughs> so he he said it was a bear. As far as the insurance is concerned, it was a bear. It was a big grizzly bear. <laughs> so, I ribbed him for it for a while and I got to thinking about it. So, you know, uh, the more I think about it, the more when I when I think about when Tyler told me in person that it was uh, he was scared. He was absolutely scared. And not a whole lot scares him, but boy, this scared him. And you could tell it you could see it in his face.
0: It's interesting that he took note of the canines. You know, we've heard a lot of different encounters where witnesses report that Sasquatch shows their teeth and then there's these canines. It's pretty rare, but we do hear, hear of it. What do you think, Jack? Why do you think the creature went off the way it did?
3: You know, I, I think he was in a mirror he probably wasn't supposed to be in. Whatever it was, uh, even even my own experience, whatever it is. I don't think it likes humans in, in close proximity to where it
2: is either feeding or living yeah they they generally don't like human presence at all actually
3: uh no and and that's the thing is that uh he he didn't mention the the color of his eyes he said it had it had pretty good sized eyes they were more they were more almond shaped than anything, but he said it it really he said when he looked in, in its face, and all of a sudden it it bared its teeth at him. And he he said the one thing that jumped out at me right off the bat, he said it had normal than larger, uh, or larger than normal teeth, like the incisors and and the eye teeth. He said, but the canines were pronounced, not to the point of. He said, he said you know how uh, baboons got exceptionally large. Canines, I'm like, yeah, and he goes. It wasn't like that. It was more like it was like a a gorilla or a or a chimpanzee's canines that are a little bit longer than the than the normal tooth, but you could tell that it was a canine.
2: You know, that's a detail it's not often talked about with people. I've heard plenty of stories, you know, where people say they saw the canines and it always reminds me back to the old Teddy Roosevelt account in his 1892 book, Wilderness Hunter, and where one of the trappers was killed, and and the story related, uh, stated that there were four great fang marks in the back of the guy's neck who was killed, so really, you know, those accounts of that sort of thing go way, way back.
3: Uh, you know, my, my own account, which, you know, I'm originally from South Texas, uh, happened just west of Fort Worth in eighty two and it was actually in, in July of eighty two. Uh the year prior we we'd just gotten over a real bad drought in uh, eighty one. Uh towards the end of eighty one, well come the summer of, of eighty two, we started getting some good rains and you know, my my dad was having problems with my stepmother and and he said, you know, he I I got I got a plethora of brothers. I got ten brothers. My dad, since me and my, my younger brother, uh, Jerry, were still left at the house that were, you know, below 15 years of age. Uh, he's like, you know, you want to go visit your Aunt Dorothy? Sure. You know, it, that sounds like fun. Beats the hell out of picking stalls and feeding cows every day in the summertime or mowing lawn. You bet. So we we go up to just outside of Fort Worth. And we're at, uh, we're actually at Lone Star Lake where my aunt lives. Went and visited my kinfolk there and, and, uh, my cousin Forrest, which is my aunt Dorothy's boy. Uh, we all decided one night we're going to go get frogs. So we're walking from his house and the main road goes past the road that shoots straight to the dam, which is where we were going to go get frogs. Well, right there where the, the, the dam road dead ends, dead ends right into a, a general store on that main road. Well, we go past the general store and get on the main road going into the dam. And there's several pastures kind of lining this road. And the first pasture on the left-hand side was a big peach orchard. It was about, oh, well, about 15, 20 acres. It was, it wasn't terribly big, but it was big enough. And the next pasture after that was a, was a hay field and in the same way on the other side was all hay fields or just cow pastures. Well, we get just, the dam's not, but maybe a quarter of a mile down the road from the general store. And we get halfway there and we hit this pasture that's got all these these cattle in it. We see them bucking and playing and carrying on. And and this is, this is like middle of the night. And we're like, what the hell's wrong with those cows? You know, this is kinda of unusual. My brother Gerald is the one that actually noticed it right off the bat. And uh all of a sudden my my cousin Force goes, What's that? And I'm looking at my cousin Force like, What do you mean what's that? And he's pointing. Well, across directly across from the pasture, there was another pasture, but outside the pasture was this big pond tree. I kinda as I'm turning and looking, I'm looking at Jerry Lee and he's He's starting to cry, and he said, we need to go. Well, I look, and there's something crouching, and it looked like a man crouching. Well, we God knows how long we stood there looking at it, and all of a sudden it stood up. And Daryl falling up a storm, and I, I kind of turn around, look back at him a little bit, trying to keep my eye on this thing, and, and I'm like, what the hell's the matter with you, dude? And he's like, we need to go and the thing walked out in the middle of the road. The one thing that hit us right off the bat was when we got to that pasture, we'd smelled something bad, but that wasn't unusual because uh, the water table was so low at the, at the dam and was slowly creeping back up. You could smell, you know, decaying vegetation and stuff. So that wasn't an unusual trait to smell a bad smell close to the dam. But now that, I've gotten older and had a lot of time to think about it. uh, I think it was this thing that that we smelled right off the bat. Well, as it walked out in the middle of the road, my my brother, Jerry Lee, grabs my arm. He goes, we need to go now. And he's, I mean, he's really starting to have a a real fit. And, and of course, I'm like, well, whatever you do, don't turn your back and start running. We're just going to walk backwards. Well, the thing follows us right down the middle of the road. and we. Walk all the way backwards till we get about 300, about 300 feet from the general store. And the general store had a big street light out in front of it, old country street light. Well, the thing turned our, our left, it's right. This road's a normal road. It's about 18 feet wide. One step off the road and it was into the bar ditch. The next step, it was right up to the fence. And it didn't jump the fence, stepped over it. And it took off. And what what kind of grabbed this was this thing was huge. And when I mean huge, it was like eight and a half feet tall and it was about four foot at the at the shoulder. And we didn't notice the neck. It was kinda hunched over. The whole time it walked, it, it it didn't it didn't straighten up like a man would walk. It was a little hunched over at the waist. It was it was bent at the, at the knees. The arms were I'd say about mid thigh just a little bit past mid-thigh, and it was just huge. Now, could we see details? No, we had enough that we could see hair. Uh, We had enough ambient light from the moon that we could tell that it was big. But we didn't see any eye shine. We didn't have flashlights. We could just tell that this thing was just huge, and it was hairy. Well, when it went through that peach orchard, I mean, in no time, I mean, just most ricky-tick. It was from one end of the uh the peach orchard to the other. And it was just almost like a blink of an eye, it was on the other side. And this was a, a, a rather tangular, long peach orchard. It didn't have but maybe four rows of trees, but they went about the whole length of the of that of uh, that orchard. As soon as it got into that field and started running, and it ran like a man. We turned around, we hauled butt to that general store. And my cousin Forrest is beating on the door. Well, he knew the people that owned the store. And an old man answered it and, and I can't remember the old man's name. He's hey, I need to get we, we need to use your phone. We need to get out of here. Uh we get in there and the old man let us use the phone. My cousin Forrest calls my Aunt Dorothy. Rather short period of time, my Aunt Dorothy shows up, picks us up. As we're driving home, yes, this is what happened. We told her. And she's like, "All right, y'all just had a bad night. Somebody's messed with me. Go to bed." So we go to bed. I know for a fact my brother Jerry had had nightmares after that for months. Uh I didn't go to sleep right away because I kept, I just in my mind's eye I kept seeing this huge mass right in front of us. I don't know how well my my cousin Forrest slept, but I don't think he slept all that well. Next morning we get up about ten, ten thirty. Uh, it was my, my aunt was uh a, a ER nurse, so it was her night off. And we get up, and uh, she's like, well, what did you boys see again last night? And we told her, told her the whole thing, start to finish. Uh, and she's like, okay, well, the sheriff's office called. They heard that, that you went to the general store last night in the middle of the night to call me. They want to talk to you boys. She calls the sheriff's office deputy comes out in a very short period of time asks us what happened we told him he goes okay well here's the deal boys they found i think it was i think it was four or five big cows in that pasture one had its tro- uh, throat ripped out all of them had been disemboweled the rest of them had broke legs so they're thinking that either somebody's, you know, doing some kind of ritualistic killing or, you know, it was a coyote attack, which isn't unusual. It's kind of unusual that a coyote would attack like that. But what made it really unusual is coyotes don't break legs. And these were, from what the deputy told us, these were upper leg breaks. These were like hip bone type breaks. These weren't lower leg breaks. You know, from that point on, my aunt didn't let us leave the house you know, we had to be in the house at 9 o'clock. A couple of weeks pass, and, and my dad comes fix us up. We tell her this. He's like, okay, yeah, the booger man. After. Well, we hadn't been home a week. And my aunt calls. And she's talking to my dad. And, and my dad gets off the phone, and, and he calls me and my brother Jerry in the, into the kitchen. He goes, your Aunt Dorothy's moving back. Oh, wow, cool. Why? Well, she was on call last night. She was she was the ER nurse. She was on she was on her rounds and they brought this woman in. That was in hysterics. And shortly thereafter they brought her son in and he was he was pretty well tore up. You know, his feet were pretty well uh tore up. Well, what the story was with that was from what she told my dad is that this woman and her 5-year-old little boy we're driving down on the other side of where we were past the dam and our car breaks down. And so they're not that far from, from Lone Star, which is the the closest town, not, but maybe three miles outside the city limits. So they decided, well, why wait? We'll just go ahead and walk into town. Well, as they're walking in town, uh, something started chasing them. And apparently the deputy that found her had actually seen the car with the hazard lights on. Uh went looking around, didn't find anybody there, so he continues on and then all of a sudden he comes across this woman laying on the side of the road and he stops and she's in hysterics. Whatever it is, it's after us, it's trying to get my little boy. It's trying to get my little boy. Well, he finally calms her down, gets her in the, the patrol unit and, and they Call EMS and they show up. Uh, apparently, they finally find the little boy, and he was in a culvert that went across underneath the road. And when they finally got him out of there, he kept saying, "The monster's trying to get me." He was trying to get me. He was trying to pull me out of the culvert. So whatever it was, in this woman's description of of, of what Jesus. she had saw was, it was big, it was hairy, and it was chasing. And she ended up with a broke rib, I think, if, I'm, if memory serves me right. She had a broken rib. But that little boy, my aunt said that little boy's lower lower legs and his feet were tore up. Whatever it was, tried pulling him out.
2: Were there any more stories after that from that area? Do you know of? Or?
3: Uh, well, it shortly thereafter, like within just a couple of weeks, my aunt and my, my cousin Forrest had moved back to you know, South Texas, just west of San Antonio, where, where I'm originally from. Uh, I'd heard here later on in life, um, I was a, uh, a cop in the Dallas area, and I'd heard later on in life that there, that whole area from just west of Fort Worth, clear over into Greenville, has always been, had a, a intermittent problem with some kind of that uh, they call you know well, I'm from the south we call them boogers, we, you know that you talk to the old people and you say, yeah you gotta be careful there are, there are boogers around here, well you know when you're a kid growing up in South Texas what the hell's a damn booger, you know, you know are you are you talking about a you know booger at your nose or you know, well what they mean by a booger is is, is uh, I got a brother that lives in St Augustine Texas uh, which is Just east of Lufkin, south of Nacogdoches, uh, and north of Hemp Hill. When you talk about bookers there, they're serious and they're dead serious. And they don't, you hear them scream, you don't leave the house. You need to stay in the house. Now, my my older brother had never had any problems with them, but, but, you know, when I go visit, every now and again you get, get one of those old black gentlemen that, that live on the outskirts of, of, uh, uh, pine view or, or, uh, oh, there's a botanical gardens down in the Sabine ri- uh, river, river basin, uh, just on the Texas side across the, the, the reservoir from, uh, Toledo Bend. And you talk to the little black gentleman down there and, and they'll tell you some, some real spooky stories about, you know, having run-ins with these things. That was, that was pretty much my start of trying to You know, figure out what the hell I saw, and tried to get all the information I could. And then, of course, when I joined the military, uh, I started out in uh, combat arms and and went off into special forces. I I had a um, kind of a a semi—oh, what's the best way to put it? Unpleasant encounter with a, a current uh, that wrote a book. Um, and he was talking about, you know, he didn't understand why, uh, special forces were used in some of these missing people situations in, in national parks. And why would they be off by themselves in their own, you know, own little world? Well, the special forces, uh, being a former 18 Bravo, um, special forces is very unique. Uh, And there are teams within Special Forces that actually specialize in tracking. Uh, And there's a school in Malaysia, it's called Malaysian Tracker School, that the U.S. government will send Special Forces, uh, Rangers or Green Berets, if they want to go, or even Delta. And I cannot confirm or deny whether or not Delta exists.
2: Hint, hint, wink, wink.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it at that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a former 19 Delta. Got got a letter from the, uh, the sergeant major of Delta back in 1980, so I I, I know they're there.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're there. Uh, so you know, uh, they go through this school. I never went through it, uh, but I knew guys, and I had served with guys that actually had gone through these these specialized schools, like Malaysian Tracker School. These guys could track a flea in a in a blizzard and tell you exactly where they started and where they ended up. But that's that's like anything else in the military, especially like marksmanship. It's a perishable skill. So if you don't exercise it, you lose it. So they they take these opportunities. Now, an MOR, uh, Memorandum for Record, is generated through the, either the Forestry Service or Department of Interior and sent up to Department of the Army requesting assistance in this area. Now, this is where it becomes a little unique. That's just one aspect. I served with a guy that was in second group at Lewis. Uh, I served with him at fifth group at at Campbell. Uh, We served together in Somalia. He was uh, he was part of the the operations in when the Rangers got hit in Mogadishu. He was one of the guys that ended up going in after the Rangers. And he one night when he was at fifth group with me. We're all sitting in the buddy's house just outside of Fort Campbell, and and he starts talking about this mission that he did. And at first, I'm like, okay, here we go. Uh, We got one of these fishing stories, and he he caught a minnow, and it's going to be Moby Dick or or Jaws. No, that that isn't what it was. Talk about that when he was at Lewis, um, he ended up getting called in, him and his team, and he had just gotten in to Delta. Got called in for this. Basically, uh, they'd had a problem. They needed to hunt this animal down and get rid of it. When my buddy started telling me what it was that they were hunting, I, I, that's when I started paying attention to him. I'm like, okay, what does this thing look like? And he's like, it's bigger than anything you ever. It'll make you question what you know is real and what you know isn't real. The thing's enormous. It's super aggressive, super powerful. Uh Part of the safety briefing prior to going out on this mission was do not let it get a hold of you. If you get close enough to where it can snag you, that's it. There's nothing we can do. You can't even get, you can't even break free from it. It'll rip you apart. And he started talking about how they, uh, they were going through Mount Hood area and, you know, through these valleys and down into these, Gulches, and they finally, it was like a pack of three of them, and they had run off the rest of them. They had finally got them scared off and got this one cornered. And this thing was just enormous. And he said, He said, Nothing, and the army prepares you for a lot of stuff. He said, As you well know, he said, But it doesn't prepare you for anything like this. When you start questioning what you think you know is, is, really in the woods and what isn't in the woods, he said, he said, after that, uh, he said, "I, I put total faith in my equipment and my weapons. He said, they bleed like we do. They die like we do, but they don't fight like we do. Uh, he said, we went out as a 12 man team and he had later found out that, that they had had other instances where they had had to hunt these animals down. And when he described it, he's like, had human features, but it was extremely well built. He said there wasn't, he said, there wasn't an ounce of fat on this animal anywhere. They're not built like, like we are where we have these big major lats, you know, in our rib cage, part of our muscle grouping. No, all the muscles in the rib cage are massive. The whole chest area is massive. They got bigger eyes than we got. The human nose, which is proportionate to the size of the skull it's got. He said, there's no neck. And he said, it's a little bit longer arm length than, than than what you would expect a human. But he said, they're incredibly fast. He said, you would be amazed at how fast these things are. And they can actually, they can cover massive amounts of ground in a very short period of time. Well, I know that to be true from my own experience. He said, when they got it cornered, he said, We lit it up, and that was it. And then, of course, he went on to say, you know, they called in a a Chinook, put it in a sling load netting, and got it out of there Uh, and didn't have any more trouble after that. But he said, it's not unusual for for us to get called in for that. And he said, and that was the one thing that, that more than anything prepared me for combat. He said, being around a human being doesn't scare me. He said, that scares me. Because he, in your own mind, you're, you're rationalizing that this isn't a real thing, but it's right in front of you. It it, it wants to hurt you. And he said, and you get them cornered, they'll pick up rocks. You swear to God that there's no way that thing could pick that rock up. And they can throw it a pretty good distance. And these are boulders, not just rocks, boulders. He, he said from his experience that, that he knew that, that they do use some rudimentary tools They have been known to use sticks uh, to fight with when they cornered this beast. And he said it was taller than anybody that we were there. And this man's not a small man. This man's, you know, like 6'5". This dude's a racehorse. And what I mean by a racehorse, he'd run 15 miles a day when I was in group with him. He didn't, uh, there was no ifs, ands, or buts
0: find the story fascinating for a couple reasons. All of us know members of Special Forces, and Special Forces members don't need a Bigfoot story to impress you. They already have, I mean, they could sit down and tell you story after story after story. That's impressive. They don't need a Bigfoot story to impress anyone. But I think it's a very fascinating story, and it gives a lot of insight uh, to, and I know Woody and Will, you guys will agree with me on this, a lot of what Jack's talking about is a lot of things that Mr. Black has also talked to us about.
2: We have a guy who's a, a government insider that um, gives us little pieces of information because he has to protect his identity. Uh, and and he has a lot of knowledge about the military and other agencies uh, dealing with these creatures back to the 70s. And, um, yeah, it sounds exactly like... And, and who the guest we had on a couple weeks ago who had the story about... Um, wasn't that the Dakotas where, where the sheriff's department and, and the mili- I think it was military or whoever they were from the government went in there and they had to uh, uh, eliminate these creatures in that area. And they, they talked about, you know, shooting the one, the female, I believe it was. And then Mr. Black confirmed uh, another situation not far from that one where the team went in and they, they eliminated these creatures. And it's often because there is some kind of uh, more than normal aggressiveness towards people in that area what john had told me was that
3: uh, he said if you spend enough time in special forces uh, and you end up on the west coast uh whether it be alaska or lewis a couple of the austere locations uh believe it or not duckweed proving grounds was another one that uh he told me about and he said, you, you get stuck at one of these austere locations or at one of these major installations out in the boonies. He said, and you spend enough time in group, you're going to end up at some point, you're going to get called in because it's, it's a systematic issue that happens time and time again. It's not, it's not an everyday issue. It's not an every week issue. He said, but from time to time, you're going to, at some point in your career, if you spend long enough in group, you're going to end up getting called in, and you're going to have to track one of these things. And he said, I'm going to be the first one to tell you. He said, don't go by yourself. Uh, he said, rely on your equipment. Make sure that your equipment's working before you leave. Because he said one of the guys that he knew that had a weapons malfunction tracking one of these things, his uh one of his teammates had gotten nabbed up. Basically, it ripped his arm off, uh, and ripped his arm off at the shoulder. It, it, at that point, I'm, I'm kind of looking at, at him. I'm like, really? And he said, you don't realize how incredibly powerful these things are. You know, a normal mountain gorilla has a strength of six grown men. Uh, chimpanzee has a strength of four men. He said, these things? Much more. Have yeah. the strength of, of about 15. Uh if they can rip your arm off at the sockets or you know, pull your leg off with little to no exertion, that's some real power.
2: I've told it on on the show before, but in nineteen eighty up above Wilkeson, Washington, which isn't really that far from Fort Lewis, uh two elk were found dismembered up there and, and I went to investigate and this was after uh, game officials had been there and you know questioned a friend of mine, which is how I got up there, um, they found, mushroom pickers had found two elk, and the way the report was written was dismembered without the use of tools. Well, it takes a hell of a lot to pull an elk apart without any kind of tools, and of course I saw sports cracks and all kinds of stuff up there. But um, yeah, you know that's uh, when you see something like that, it really sets it into your mind the power these things have
3: my own experience. I thought the thing was just heavy breathing when it was walking it with us back towards the towards the general store. Uh the more I thought about it I was like, wait a minute, nothing breathes that heavy because it sounded like it, it had a respiratory disorder. No, it didn't have a respiratory disorder. The thing was growling at us.
2: It was growling. You know, it's when I you mentioned your your brother's account with it bearing its teeth, we've heard that a number of times. In the past couple of months, too, from other other witnesses, um, and that's, that seems to be a very typical aggressive behavior. It's a challenge behavior.
3: Well, you know what? He won because my little brother wasn't moving out of that park <laughs> <back>. act.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't either. That's one yeah. of those what I what I typically call uh, an underwear changing moment.
3: <laughs> you know, and and if I'd have seen details and it was it was showing me his teeth, okay, you win, <laughs> I, I'll leave you alone. Uh, But, you know, and, and of course, in hindsight, there's always that little part of you that wishes that you'd you'd seen a little more, gotten a little more detail. Wish you had a flashlight, you know.
2: It's one of those, you've got to be careful what you wish for, though.
3: (laughs) Exactly. But then again, you kind of think, you know what, maybe God was smiling
2: on me. (laughs) You know, I... I I know Wes and Woody probably feel the same way. You know, we've we've seen things up pretty close. I stood when I was sixteen in front of two of them, less than fifteen feet, and and I can tell you, I never want to be that close to one again.
3: Well, it, we weren't but twenty feet from this thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was that close to us.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: You know, which was too damn close. I I I'd, I'd heard that uh, all the fella that did the Skookum movie, uh, I heard his interview. Mike Woolley. Yeah, Mike Woolley. I, you know what? Uh, with all due respect, Mr. Woolley, I agree with you. Uh, don't point your gun at them because they know what it is. And that's the one thing that, that my buddy was telling me. He said, they know what a gun is. They're not yeah. stupid. They absolutely know what a gun is. They may not know how it functions, but they know it goes boom, and they know bad things happen.
2: I, I'll tell you what. When I had my first encounter, I I, they, I knew they knew what, what the I was holding, a twenty two, but they knew it was a rifle. And it was actually probably the only thing that saved my bacon because I was holding the rifle, you know, basically at a port arms position. And I fired a shot just to, to kind of thinking maybe it would scare it away. And that's when the other one came walking around from behind me. But they didn't attack. They looked pissed off, but they didn't attack. And I took off running. And I, I really think to this day that's kind of what saved me in that situation.
3: Well, you know, we had fishing poles, so we were no threat to it unless it thought we were going to whip it to death. You know, like I said, my buddy said, he said, they know exactly what a gun is. You know, Jack, with
0: your own encounter, it makes you wonder why it didn't attack you that night. Because it sounds like it was on a rampage that night. It sounds like it, you know, went over, killed the cows, knocked the lady down, tried to get her kid. Uh, It makes you wonder why it didn't attack you. I realize you guys were 12, 13 years old. I almost wonder if it was the sheer numbers is what kinda of kept it from coming after you guys.
1: And that
3: was the one thing I told uh, told my cousin Forrest. I said, if this thing charges us as we're walking backwards, I said, if it charges, everybody go a different direction. Confuse the hell out of it. I you know, it won't know which direction to go. You know, I'm grateful it didn't charge us because it'd be just my luck. It'd have chased me. It'd have caught me. Uh, I'd have probably been a touchy roll to it. You know what? I'm, I'm glad it didn't charge us because I didn't want to see what it looked like up close. It was close enough as it was. And I talked to some old timers, uh, like I said, uh, over in East Texas. And as a matter of fact, I had a run in with, uh, uh, Texas and, uh, uh, Gulf Coast's Bigfoot research organization. Most of the guys there are pretty decent guys. They're just basic. They're interested. They want to know what it is. I get that. When I was a cop in in the Dallas area, but one of the things that that they got one idiot in there that just he actively wants to kill one, and I'm like, well, what are you going to do when you kill it? You know, you ain't much bigger than a popcorn fart. <laughs>
2: it's not like you're going to drag it out the woods. Yeah, um, surviving what its buddies would do. Well,
3: and that's just it. And I said, you know, these things don't move by themselves.
2: That's right. They're all they're not the
3: solitary animals. They're 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 family groups. You you better you better have some serious armament on you. Now I'm the first one to say I think the only way that that it's going to come out is that somebody's going to produce a body. Somebody's going to actually produce a, a bona fide actual body, and not this uh, bogus BS that's coming out of San Antonio. I shot six foot in my camp. No, it's a, actually somebody's going to come up with an actual body: uh, liver, spleen, heart, arms, legs, eyeballs a brain, uh, skeletal structure, they're going to produce a body. But my concern is, how much are they going to pay for that in the long run,
1: yeah, producing that
3: one body? Deep. Well, and it's and it's just not retribution from his cousins and uncles and aunts and, and mother and grandmother and grandfather. It's what's going to happen to him from our own federal government.
2: Our Mr. Black said that the government doesn't care you can talk about it as much as you want you can be 100% correct about what you say he said they only care if you can prove it
3: that's it and they don't want you to prove it the 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 amount of revenue that's produced in the national parks in the national forests is phenomenal people would be amazed at how much money's produced there
2: oh we have uh, a with federal con- biologist right and he said that the uh the outdoor recreation industry is a trillion dollar annual business Exactly. And
3: that, you and know, hunting license is. would hunting license would drop overnight.
2: Well, if the Endangered uh, Species Act kicked in, they'd shut everything down.
3: Well, and and the thing is, is my retort to that is, really, they can't be that endangered because they're still floating around.
2: Oh, well, true, true. I, I'm not saying that at all, but they would use that, you know, as a pretext for for doing all this.
3: Uh, and now, people I, people I don't. The I, you know, and and, and uh, uh, me like you. Yourselves, I believe that these things are extremely dangerous. They can exude a phenomenal amount of violence in a very almost spurt-like action with little to no effort. Most animals that live in the woods don't have – they're not known for having good tempers. I would say these these, these creatures do not have a sense of humor at all. And if they do, it's only by chance that they hit, you know, ping somebody in the back of the knot with a rock and knock him down. But they don't, they don't want to be troubled with. And I, my suggestion: don't feed them, for God's sake, don't feed them. That's like feeding a lion. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna take its natural fear away from, from you fairly quickly. You start feeding them, and you want, you want to maintain that natural fear that cautiousness. If you take that away from them, it, it's not that you're doing the, the animal injustice. You're doing yourself an injustice because you're putting yourself and possibly family members in danger.
0: That, that kind of reminds me of uh, most wild wild animals in the woods. You know, it's kind of a survival instinct. Uh, if they didn't have that, they wouldn't have made it as
4: long as they have so far. Uh, well,
3: so, uh, you know, in, in the wild, there's, there's a common law, survival of the fittest. The one thing that my buddy had said, he said, uh, he said, Caesar had said to his fellow Romans, "Veni, Vidi Vici, you know, I came, I saw, I conquered. And he said, what saved us when we were going after this thing was that we divided and conquered. He said, if you're going to take them on as a group, he said, even a, you know, an SF team is not going to survive. And most F- SF teams are 12 man groups, but one against 12, he isn't going to survive.
2: In that particular case, it sounded like with the three, probably the three rogue males, you know, when they, they sort of go out of a group like near the Browns property, for instance, uh, there's there's one, maybe another family group in those areas. And, and they're bonded with each other, the members of family groups where the rogue males are out. You know, they're kind of loose, uh, loosely connected, but they're looking for females to start their own groups. And it's much easier, I think, to divide those individuals. If you were to attack a family group, uh, those real strong bonds are going to kick in. That would be be a lot tougher to uh, surmount. That instance.
3: Well, exactly, and yeah, uh, uh, you, know, you know, like I uh, uh, talked to Wes earlier. Uh, you know, it's a rarity that you see a juvenile, and there's right. yeah, you know, I'd ran into people that it, had actually seen one up in a tree, and said it would it had tree to tree until it got to about the fourth tree and in a shimmy down. And he said, you'd be amazed even the small ones have speed. And it didn't take it very long to get out of eyesight.
0: Going back to Jack's brother, God, can you imagine being in that camper and having this thing go King Kong all over you and you're just praying for daylight to come? God, that must have been the longest uh, night of those guys' lives sitting in the back of that camper all those things just going off on them. I wanted to ask you though, Jack, when he spoke with your Special Forces friend, did he ever explain why they went after this creature, why they went and actually killed this creature?
3: He said that, that they had gotten – they had gotten called in because there – you know, some people had come up missing, and one person had gotten attacked. And it was right close to Fort Lewis. Whatever it was or whatever group it was wasn't a very – friendly group <laughs> because he he said it was they were at that one period they were exceptionally
1: aggressive. You
3: know I'm kind of on the
2: base out there.
3: Well and I'm wondering if because I'd, I had a, a guy that I i uh, served as a cop with that was a Marine, he was he was part of the security force there at Banger. He told me that he was uh he was out one night Patrolling the perimeter of the fence at Banger Naval Station, he had seen something, and it looked like there was three of them, and he feels like the only thing that saved him was that he dived under a pine tree and hid under the boughs of this big pine tree because he thought they were buddies of his, and he screamed at them, and they turned around and looked at him and started walking towards him. And he went around into this tree, and then dived underneath the, this uh, pine tree, and he stayed there a couple of hours. Got in trouble for it. He ended up getting uh, getting uh, captain's mass out of it because they couldn't find him. And he said, "You know what? I'll take an ass chewing any day of the week, as long as I'm alive. <laughs> you know, I'll go ahead and do office hours, <laughs> and I'll gladly do it for a couple of weeks." <laughs>
2: I'm not surprised they, they have uh, people, you know, especially around Lewis, because, uh, and I've told this before, my squad, I was a squad leader with the 5th Air Cav back in the early 80s. My squad ran into one of these things out there one night and it circled us for a couple hours at least. And uh, I, I didn't mention anything to the guys, you know, at first. I, we, I got a call and said, well, we're not going to have any aggressors out. Just go ahead and have your men practice ambushing or whatever. So I told the team leaders to set The guy's up in a classic l shape ambush on this road, and we'd practice for a little while and crash out. I took my radio man, and we went into a a tree line nearby. And This is when they first came out with the ANPVS-5 night vision goggles. Hmm. And they weren't great, you know, in the beginning. Uh, Better than Starlight Scopes, but not real great. So I I was wearing this thing, and I walked into the tree line, and I saw this huge shape in front of me take a, a step from my right to my left, and my hair just went up. And I started backing up, backed into the poor private. I said, out of the tree, line, out, 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 like this. And I hollered for the team leaders to rally the whole squad. I had a 15-man squad on me. Oh, man. Uh, and the guys, uh, they come running. And I said, okay, I decided I don't want to do any training tonight. We're just going to hunker down and wait until the helicopter's come at first light. So I said, everybody get in the 360, and we'll sit here on the road and just, you know, grab some disease and pretty soon, one of the guys says, hey, Sarge, I hear somebody walking around there. And I said, no, there's nobody out here for miles. And then one of the other guys pipes up and says, no, there's somebody walking. I can hear two feet walking around us. And <laughs> One of the guys jokingly says, hey, maybe it's Bigfoot. And he says, hey, Sarge, you're from here. What do you know about this? So I told him what I'd seen as a teenager. And, uh, and all the guys would swear up and down. That's what was circling us. And, of course, I didn't tell them what I had seen in the in a tree line, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well,
3: you know, and the and the thing is I don't know that I I've, I've had an uh my first duty station was the old guard. Washington DC, spent five years mm-hmm. there. Believe it or not, the old guard's not totally ceremonial. They actually have a combat unit. You know, it it was called a recon Platoon. They were the scouts.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: uh my first job there was uh ended up riding horses in the cemetery. Which, you know, my dad being a, you know, uh, my dad's and grandfather both being thoroughbred racehorse trainers, they thought that was twice a treat, you know, uh, even though both of them were Marines and, and they weren't real happy I joined the army.
1: <laughs>
3: but, uh, and my grandfather who just passed away a month ago or a month and a half ago was actually in the Marines during World War II on Mount Suribachi. I watched the flag get raised. They thought that was quite the treat that I was you know, the Army still got horses and you know, and my grandson's riding horses in Arlington National Cemetery. I'm like, it's not all that trust. Me. You know <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I get a chance I'm getting out of this unit
1: <laughs> and
3: I ended up going to recon platoon. We were doing exavals uh down at uh Fort AP Hill. And I don't know if there was an actual had a run in on Fort AP Hill or not. But it was, it was strange enough that I could, I could see an outline in the trees and I'm looking at a guy that I'd served with, super nice guy. He grabbed the, the, the 203 from me and he starts walking towards the trees and then all of a sudden he kind of walks back and he said, uh, let's just stay around the Humvee. And I'm looking at Joey and I'm like, why? He said, let's just stay around the Humvee course that you know shortly thereafter you know the rest of our our platoon shows up and, and we assemble and didn't see anything more that night but but i i've run into some of the uh range cadres and kind of told them i said, you know this happened last night you know is are, are should we really be worried you know is there anything out here that we need be concerned about and they said well we hesitate to tell you about this one thing, and I knew where it was going. Uh, and he said, but on the other hand, we do have SEAL Team 7s over here had built a uh, pretty good-sized compound right there on Fort AP Hill. They trained out of Fort AP Hill all the time. For all you know, you could have you could have ran into somebody from SEAL Team 7 and kind of tell you this story, tell you that story, I got to tell you this one. When I was stationed in D.C., I'd ended up going through uh, Marine Corps Sniper School at Quantico. We're out doing one of our final night stalks, and they get our mission. And one of the teams had gotten broke up. And I'll never forget this Marine's name, Spidey. Super nice guy, really short though, And he's the proverbial snuffy. If anything's going to happen, it's usually going to happen to him. Well, he gets lost in the woods. He loses his teammate which is almost grounds for getting, you know, rolled out of the school for. Anyways, uh, apparently the FBI cadets were having a kind of a a night function where they were doing night exercises, and they're all kind of sitting around the campfire. They'd already ended their missions, and and all of a sudden they, they see this thing come out of the woods, kind of turn around, look at them, grunt, and go back into the woods. Well, the next morning, of course, we're looking for Spivey everywhere. We can't find him.
4: And uh, we come across this van that says FBI Academy on the side of it. And, and they flagged down the gunny that was our cadre. And,
3: and uh, he gets out. And all of a sudden, he starts laughing. And he goes, okay. And he gets back in the in the van with us. And we're taking off. And and said, hi, right, Gunny, what's up? And he said, we think we found Spivey. Really? Yeah, these uh these FBI cadets swore they saw uh, a small Bigfoot come out of the woods and go back into the woods. Well, when you're in a ghillie suit, you look like a man Sasquatch. Sure. You look like a small Sasquatch. So we had quite the quite the rib about that one. I thought that was quite <laughs> a, quite a treat to hear. That <laughs> FBI cadets all swore that they saw Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I and I can't say definitively that that. What I saw at Fort APL was, was a Sasquatch, but I know it was in the wood line. Joey's reaction was very uncharacteristic of his nature, uh, especially coming back saying, well, just stay close to the Humvees. But, you know, and that's the one thing that I would stress to any of the listeners is, you know, if you do come in contact, just uh, try to get out of there. Uh, the best you can, the safest you can, kind of keep them confused. Don't let them. And for God's sake,s don't let them get a hold of you. Just listening to that one buddy of mine that I served with in group was more than enough to make me a believer that they get a hold of you, they're going to rip you apart. Oh yeah.
2: They're
3: they're not going to they're not going to play patty cake with you.
2: No, by the time they, they, they play patty cake with the worms, are coming after
3: you. Well, and that's and that's the thing is that he he speculated. He said, it's either a shortage of food or maybe one is in musk. And I kind of looked at him like, what do you mean one was in musk? And he said, he said, you know, elephants become rogue because they go into the musk. That kind of the, the year when they, they breed, mm-hmm. that they can smell it in the air, but they can't find any satisfaction.
1: No.
3: So what do they do? They go on a rampage. That kind of made sense with me that really resonated with me. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Because it's just not elephants do that. Uh, uh, Lions do that. Tigers do that. Bears do that. Hell, they'll all kill their own young, uh, not their own offspring, but, but their own species young to bring that female back into heat. Why wouldn't, you know, a creature like Bigfoot kill one of us to... Because he's not getting some kind of satisfaction in some way.
2: There's a guy named Mike Clark, and uh, I think he's in Georgia now. But he was telling me some in- stories from back in the '70s or early '80s from the Carolinas, where there was one of these creatures in uh, around these farms, and it was killing cattle and horses. And it would take, you know, a big chunk out of their, their neck of the spine, and um, and they felt that it was killing out of spite. Uh, that if they really didn't like the people for some reason, whatever they did, it would kill, kill hogs, it would kill everything.
3: Well, and that's, uh, you know, when I, like I said, I'd had a run in with, with the Texas and Gulf, Gulf Coast Bigfoot Research Organization, and they had speculated that, you know, if, if you do by chance, you know, hang your one, they will retaliate. And don't think for a minute that it's just going to be one little time, it's going to be a repetitive thing.
2: Yeah, for a while. You guys have a real temper. You don't want to uh, set off. There's, uh, there's not much more I can tell
3: anybody, uh, other than, you know, be cautious. Don't feed them. For God's sake, don't make them a pet because they're not a pet. They're ill-tempered. They're vindictive. From what I've, I've seen, what I've heard yeah, from other people. The Treat them with the respect that they, that they deserve, and you know, don't go up and. Just like I was telling Wes. It wasn't like I was going to go up and shake that dude's hand. He was well, big. people to be fair. Treat like, a, just... bear. like she, a bear. Yeah.
0: Jack, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing all of your encounters with us. Thanks for sharing all of your stories. I really enjoyed it, and I just really want to thank you for coming on the show tonight.
1: You bet. You bet. No problem.
0: That was Jack. Everyone, what a fascinating account.
2: It was an awesome account. And um, it, it would be even greater if we could get more uh, current or former special forces personnel to come out. And of course, you know, we would we keep them uh, keep them anonymous, but uh, it would be great to hear some corroborating uh, stories as well. I mean, his was really right in there with the things Mr. Black has been telling us.
0: Yeah. No, it was it was an awesome account, and I want to have him in on the show in the future. He had a lot of other stories that we don't have time to get to tonight talking about border patrol agents that have had run-ins that he knows of personally that have had run-ins at the border with these creatures he also has other law enforcement officials that uh, a lot of other stories that we just didn't have time to get to tonight but i'd love to have them back i know someone had sent you a encounter didn't they will
2: well, you know, I I'm really, really love some of the details that come out of some of the accounts. And, um, I was sent one earlier today. And, um, it's, the person sent it wants it, wants it to remain anonymous. Although I, I am, did get permission to put it in my next book, Creek Devil, which is interesting because we get people, you know, who, who won't, uh, come on the show and talk about accounts. But they will give permission as long as I can make it, you know, keep it very anonymous so that no one will find out who they are. Uh, to use the stories. But getting to the detail, um, there was an interesting part of this that I'd never heard before, and you and I talked about it, and you'd never heard it either. Um, there was a group of people, you know, to keep the story short, that went on a hike uh, in a in a western state a number of years back, and um, the group became separated. One one went off to do some exploring, and the other part, uh, two women, didn't want to go where the others went, so they decided to hang around and it got hot, so they wanted to go down this mountain slope into some shade and wait for the others. And, of course, you know, drinking lots of water when you're hiking, they had to make a nature call, and uh, they stopped by this big boulder they estimated standing next to it was around 9 or 10 feet high, and, you know, one of the women would go around behind the boulder and do her business, and then the other one would come around and they'd take turns. Well, uh, they uh they had seen this creature threw uh, some trees above them and thinking it was a bear, they decided to go down the hill. And uh, when they got down the hill a ways where they were going to wait, they looked back up at the other side of the boulder and they saw a shape, a brown, brownish-black, what they thought at first was a rock at the base of this big boulder, but then it was moving and it bobbed up and down a bit and they both saw this. And um, as they watched this, uh, this boulder, well, the creature now was nearly, um, to the upper third of this rock, so they estimated it was around, uh, eight feet tall or so, sort of this creature. And what it was doing was sort of bobbing, uh, back and forth towards the boulder and then back, and they couldn't quite figure out what it was doing, but they watched it for a while, and then they heard their, their other companions from up above the ridge calling down for them, and the creature Immediately perked up, and then it took off to the right. And some other things happened there, but uh, when when the rest of the group started coming down the hill, they stopped by the boulder and they noticed where the girls had done their uh, nature call that the dirt was and the urine were sort of mixed together and piled up against the boulder. And I thought that was very strange why you know a sasquatch would do something like that and really don't have an answer for it. and I was just kind of curious if any of our listeners out there, had ever had a similar encounter or seen anything like that. It's very unusual.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't be the uh, <laughs> first odd story we've heard, that's for sure. But you know, if it's happened once, it's probably happened to someone else.
2: Exactly. That's why I sort of put it out for the for the listeners to see if maybe somebody out there has had a similar, you know, encounter or, or uh, has seen something like that.
1: Yeah.
0: No, it's it's uh it's a strange one. I know next on the show we have Sam, and Sam had actually sent us his encounter. Sam had kind of an odd encounter. I don't think he actually saw the creature, but you know what we were talking about last week, this chatter and this the, how they mimic people. and Sam does a pretty good impression of the mimic of the chatter that he heard when he encountered this creature. But I wanted to welcome Sam to the show and have him share his encounter with us.
2: Hi, Doing Sam. Well, how are you
4: this good. evening? Doing well. How are you? Thank you. Pretty
2: good. Pretty good. Well, h- let me ask, first of all, how uh, sure. how long ago did this incident take place?
4: This was uh, about 2004. It's been about 10 years ago. Now, it was either 2003 or 2004, and, and the main reason I don't recollect exactly is because for so long, I was uh, when I asked about it at the time, I was blown off, and I didn't know exactly what I had heard either, so... Um, but it
2: was it was spring or fall. I do remember that there was no snow on on the ground. Okay. Did you know much about the subject of the Sasquatch prior to that time?
4: No, not at all. Other than seeing the Patterson-Gimlin film as a kid and you know Harry and the Hendersons. Not really. I'm I'm from Houston, and you know the only Nobody. thing we have down here dogs and cats. So no, not at all.
2: That day that this took place, what were you doing? Yeah, it was about two o'clock in the
4: morning and I was actually asleep and um, my father, okay, just to start the story, my father at the time lived in the Black Hills of South Dakota and this was out of, outside of Leed, about a mile and a half, two miles outside of Leed, up on Hearst Mountain. Um At that time, there was like three people that lived on that whole mountain, one road up, one road down. Um, it was very high up. You you had to go around a lot of turns to, just to get up there, and they were the only ones at that time that, that lived on there. They lived on the corner of the mountain. We had this huge 65-foot deck, but right after the deck, it went straight down, like 45-degree angle, and we were up at treetop level. So just to give you an idea, nobody could actually climb up that except here. And then in the back of the house, my father um, had bought like an additional three to five acres back there just to ensure that one day nobody would, would build that close to him. I do remember at the time there was logging going on a little bit further down the mountain. You could see it. And now the place is totally built up and they no longer live there. They live in the Black Hills of Wyoming now, but it's, um, it's a whole community and neighborhood. But it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, I was asleep on the garage house. It wasn't a separate part of the house. You had to go through the mud room and this other room and then go up the stairs, and, and there was a room there. And it had two windows, one window in front that didn't open, and then one window in the bathroom, which was in the back. And you could open that, and we would open that just to keep it nice and cool. So that window was open, and then the bathroom door was open. And I was asleep, and all of a sudden, I heard this gibberish talk, very loud. And it freaked me up, and I jumped out, and, and I'll do it for you the best I can do. Um, it went something like this. Just something as ridiculous as that, but it was loud. And it, it, I jumped up and I froze. I didn't know what what the hell it was, what it could have been. Like I said, I don't know too much about animals. I didn't smell anything. I didn't hear anything, any roars or any crunching of of the trees or anything like that. I just heard that. Um, I froze, and and honestly, I think I stood there for quite a few minutes. Um, I ended up going back to sleep, you know, maybe half an hour later. And the next morning, I didn't go investigate. I didn't go look. I, I was. I didn't want to. I was just trying to, trying to, you know, uh, calm myself down because it really did scare me. The next morning, I asked my parents and even my daughter, who slept on the other side of the house, "Hey, did you guys hear that last night?" And everybody said no. And I and I told them what I heard, and they kind of laughed at me, blew me off. My stepmom said, "Well, maybe it was an elk." Um, so years went by. I Came back down to Houston. Went to work. Life went on. Blah 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 blah. And now we live in the wonderful age of YouTube. And I was on YouTube about a year ago, uh, maybe a little bit less researching everything and that I could find and just, you know, cause I, I, I have always been interested in it. I just didn't know anything about it. Yeah. You know? And, um, I came across Ron Moorhead, one of his videos. And I believe I told Wes that it was, uh, uh the tape recordings were in Wyoming and that, that was wrong about that. I, I went back and looked and it happens they were in, in, uh, Northern California. But they were verified in Wyoming, at the University of Wyoming, to say that, yes, they're real. There's no other metallic, you know, that could make this metallic place or whatever they were talking about. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And, and so that was it. I came across that, and I heard it. And I get goosebumps every single time. I was like, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. And I never heard anything like that before in my life or since. And so, you know, now that I've done more research on it, uh, I know they make similar noises or some, maybe, you know, that kind of gibberish talk. And then I wonder this, now that I've learned a little bit more, maybe it was protesting the fact that we were really encroaching into the hills there because, like I said, logging was going on and, you know, we had built or my parents had built up there and, and there was really nothing up there prior
2: to that. You know, I'm just a speculation, of course, but but um, that, that's what happened and that's what I heard. Well, these guys are kind of, they have kind of short tempers, and I would suspect, like most animals, you know, they get upset, you know, with the encroachment and destruction of of a food base, um, right. you know, areas where, you know, they may, may be currently, you know, raising young or things like that. I mean, there's a lot that's not known about behavior, but uh, sure. uh, oftentimes, you know, they will come in and, and do these kinds of demonstrations, and uh it, it's a challenge or, uh, you know, they're upset about something. Uh, right. I was going to ask you, too, how, how far from the house do you think that was? You know, it could not have been more than 15 feet
4: because the bathroom, you know, it's a very small room. There was the bathroom uh, window, and then you open the door, and it's right there parallel. And then the bed that I was sleeping in was on the wall right next to it, right outside of the bathroom and right on the wall. So, I mean, I, I want to say 10, 12 feet but it couldn't have been more than 15th because, and that's another thing. If there was somebody who was playing a prank, number one, they'd have to know I was visiting my dad and nobody knows me up there. Nobody ever sleeps in that room. I don't know anybody up there. You know, we were just visiting. Um, number one, number two, I would have seen something leave or headlights come because you could see the headlights. And number three, no human that I know of, unless they scream, do that and it'd be so loud in the bedroom, you know what right. I mean? It um, had to have been something with large lungs or,
2: right, or just right.
4: big, it seemed though, you know.
2: Did you ever wonder afterwards if maybe, um, you know, your dad and everyone said they didn't hear anything, but maybe they really did and didn't want to say, you know, anything about what they knew was out there?
4: No, I don't think so because I've been on them the past several years about it and I've shown them what I've heard. And talk to them about it, and they still kind of, ask, okay, well, yeah, maybe. You know, no interest or anything at all. Um, you know, I'm 41 years old, so my dad and I, we sit around and have a beer and talk and whatnot. And no, nothing. Um, my stepmother has some involvement. Um, she's an economics person. I don't know what this has to do with it. But she goes to Wind River, Wyoming, quite a bit. And I know there's all kinds of sightings that I've heard of over there and I've asked her as well if she heard anything and she just told me no.
2: Yeah, people in some locations, some regions are pretty uh, closed mouth about things that are going on.
4: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, You know, my father was born and raised in Chicago and then retired up there. And um, like I said, we lived in Houston. So we've been in big cities. So I think even if he had heard something, he wouldn't have even known. Um, You know, they shut everything at night make sure the dogs are in so that the mountain lions and whatnot, you know, they're, they're pretty much out by nine o'clock and heavy sleepers. Oh, um, right.
2: So they probably didn't hear anything.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And And he doesn't go hunting or anything like that where he would have any kind of encounters, you know?
2: Right. And it may have been just a a one-time event too.
4: Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I know what I heard and, and that's what I heard. And, Nothing or no one can ever convince me otherwise. I mean, it freaked me out. You know, 10 years later, and, and right now talking, I'm still getting goosebumps. Just yeah, I mean, it really, really frightened
2: me, the, the noise. Yeah, it, it's very common with, uh, you know, all of us that have seen or heard these things. Uh, mm-hmm. but many years later, I mean, I, I was 16, you know, <laughs> 40 years ago when I when I saw the two creatures I ran into. And whenever I I'd talk about it with someone you know, occasionally, you know, the, the, my skin will go cold and I'll kind of feel like the back of my neck is going up. Bro, exactly how I really, feel. Yeah, you never really get past that.
4: Right. And then the ones that I hear, the people who've had these experiences, I'm just, you know, I'm completely blown away. And and and, and the people that I've talked to, like I said, some of my friends down here, they, you know, I've talked to them now and they laugh at me and whatnot. But I tell them, look, I know what I heard. I don't have anything to gain by you wackadoos laughing at me. Um, and I don't care. I'm thick skinned in my 40s now. It doesn't matter. Uh, so, but I said, but I know what I heard, and there's been more and more people that have come, you know, credible people as well, you know, park rangers, policemen that didn't say anything for, what, 20, 30, 40 years, so people didn't think they were we crazy or that they lot would lose time. their jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there has Absolutely. to be
2: something out there. I don't know. Didn't they say there's maybe something about four different types of... of well, our, our government insider, Mr. Black, uh, uh-huh. tells us there are four different types.
4: Yeah. That's what I've heard. And that's what it's I mean,
2: yeah, it makes sense.
4: You know, it makes it makes sense. We we all have different just humans have different ear color skin or different types of hair or different color eyes. Why wouldn't they be a little different as well?
0: You know, Sam, the impression that you do is money man. It's money in the bank.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <you. laughs> man. I took a so I was like, I hope I can do it right for them, but yeah. It sounds just like Ron are more tape.
4: That's why I heard and That's why I'm so convinced. And, you know, I say, of course, oh, I would love to have an encounter. And then, of course, you have to, you know, be careful what you wish for. These aren't <laughs> <That's> little <right. laughs> ewoks or cuddly bears, you know. They um, oh, are not that. But just because I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by it. And I listen to you guys and I listen to your shows every night. Before it was always, you know, whatever music I was listening to to go to bed. To bed and now it's your show in my ears as I go to sleep. And that's been the running occurrence lately. And um, I just can't get enough, you know.
2: Well, well I hope we're not making uh, nightmares. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm
4: enthralled by it. And it but the only one that makes me mad, I think, is like the Rick Dyers. You know, those guys that make a mockery, it seems to put everything oh. back. gives the naysayers even more uh, ammunition.
2: Right. And, and there's so much of that junk out there. Uh,
4: yeah. He came through Houston with the... Uh, with the supposedly dead body and charge people $20 a hit. You go and look at it. And oh, yeah. I think a couple of weeks later, he oh, now it's just pulling.
2: Well, I feel sorry for the people that paid money for that. Uh, yeah, me too. You know.
0: I know we're getting low on time, but, uh, Sam, I'm I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by the, the chatter stories. I'm just fascinated by this chatter that people keep reporting.
4: Is that what they refer to as a samurai chatter? I've heard, or is that something different? I think that's it. Yeah.
1: Yep. Okay. Yeah.
4: And I wonder. I wonder how come. You know. And, and honestly, I, I wanted to say, well, I wish it roared. No, I'm glad it didn't, because that would have. <laughs> I was already scared. Honestly, I won't lie. Like a little girl, I was like, oh my god, and I jumped up and I froze. You know,
2: thirty year old grown man, but I, that whatever that noise was scared me to death. That's right, a roar could have been your underwear-changing moment.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Imagine how even much louder that could have been. Um, but yeah, that, that that was it. That's all that happened. I wish there was more, really, but, but that was it. And I'll never forget it.
0: Yeah, you never forget it. You definitely never forget it. Sam, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to thank Jack for being on the show. Will Woody, it looks like number 45 is down. Until next week, everyone, have a great night.